0: Well, good morning. This is the craziest weather. I don't think it's unique to Ohio, but um, this, is, this is nuts. It's supposed to be like in the 60s this week, is that right? It was 61 the other day, and then snow. Anyway, but we're in here where it's nice and cozy, and uh, we get a chance to um, not only gather together uh, to fellowship with one another, but to worship together, and as uh, has been mentioned already, we are... In the study of the book of Exodus, which we began here at the beginning of the year, and it, it's just been an amazing journey. I, I hope uh, you're in a life group that you're processing truth together. I hope that um, you're you're reading the the, the scripture um, each week. You know, we're taking a little bit at a time, but we're just systematically working our way through the book and. Uh, it 's just amazing as soon as you think you know something, you read and it 's like wow, i guess i didn 't really know that and and you 're digging in a little bit deeper, so I hope it 's been uh, encouraging and challenging to you david uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, the Welsh uh, pastor, uh, theologian, and medical doctor, said. If I were asked to hazard an opinion as to what is the most prevailing disease in the church today, I would suggest that it is discouragement. It's very interesting. Discouragement is really a disease of the soul in many ways. And in the hands of an enemy, it can be a terrible weapon used against us C.S. Lewis said once that if if Satan's arsenal of weapons were restricted to a single one, it would be discouragement. You know, Scripture is filled with servants of God who wrestled with discouragement, who were despondent. In Exodus chapter 5, we find out that Moses is no exception. Things didn't turn out the way that he thought that they would, and it led to great discouragement. But rather than turning away from God, he turned to God. Moses turns to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord reassures him of his promise to deliver Israel. And the timeless truth in this passage for us is that when our obedience to God leads to discouragement, we must resist the temptation to give up. And we need to continue to trust that God will keep his promises. So this morning, uh, as, as we look at, at chapter 5, uh, we're going to find out it, it's filled with practical and profound teaching. And I've kind of uh, divvied it up a little bit similar to what uh, Ryan did last week, which, by the way, he did a great job last week handling a couple of difficult passages, dealing with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and... Uh, you know, the, the bridegroom of blood. And uh, if, you, if you weren't here last week, you missed a good one. So, uh, but, but this week, as we look at chapter five, what we're gonna see is that the, 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 the passage, really from verse one through chapter six, verse one, can kind of be divided this way. And this is the way I'm gonna handle it. We're gonna first look at, at a great demand that is made. Then it's followed with a defiant rejection and a fruitless appeal. And then there is a piercing accusation and a desperate plea and a reaffirming promise. So those are the six things we're gonna be looking at this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter five. I'll have it up on screen as well. And so let's look at this great demand that shows up in verse one. It says, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, at first glance, it it would appear that Moses is doing exactly what God had told him to do. Now, it gets a little complicated when you read about what God tells Moses to do and when exactly he's supposed to do it. Um, but, But I just couldn't help but wonder, did Moses really do what God told him to do? According to verse 18 of chapter 3, God told Moses to go with the elders of Israel. And it appears that only Aaron went with him here. God also told Moses exactly what to say to Pharaoh. But Moses' approach, what he said and what he did, doesn't seem to match what God told him to do. Back in chapter 3, verse 18, there we read, you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's what he was supposed to say. But instead of making a polite and reasonable request of Pharaoh, Moses begins by making a demand. Now, you have to understand, you're talking about the most powerful man on the planet, And and Moses goes to him and he basically says, first words out of his mouth, let my people go. I don't suppose that went over too well. Moses also refers to the Lord as the God of Israel, not what God said to say the God of the Hebrews, which was how the people were referred to there in Egypt, God told him to say that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, Moses said that they may hold a feast to me. Now, no doubt there would be some feasting involved, but Moses really should have been more careful to say exactly what God told him to say. Now, God has told him to say some other things too, but, but that comes a little bit later, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how, how true this is for us, that we too must be careful with God's word. The, the, the Bible is not a collection of nice sayings and, and, you know, cute proverbs written by men over the centuries. It is the very word of God. We take very or at least we ought to take v- be very, very careful in how we translate the original languages. Now, we don't have the, uh, uh, the, the, the actual manuscripts that were written, the original manuscripts. We have copies of those, but through the science of textual criticism, we're able to reconstruct what those original documents were like. And we need to stay as close as possible to that we, don't, we must not add to God's word. We must not take away from God's word. We're warned about that in Scripture. And it's particularly important for those who preach. But we must all learn to handle God's word accurately, to become workmen who need not be ashamed. Now, despite Moses' failure to say exactly what God told him to say, God did want to emancipate his people He wanted to set them free from their slavery. He wanted to set them apart so that they might serve him. Our purpose in being saved is the same thing. God saved us to set us apart for him, for his service. Our deliverer, Jesus Christ, came to save us from the bondage of sin so that we might be set apart to him. You know, Jesus didn't die just so that we could be forgiven and go to heaven one day. God has a purpose for our salvation. The apostle Peter tells us that Jesus saved us in order to do something. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he, he tells us that he died to make us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has a purpose in saving his people. He has a purpose in saving you and in saving me. And just from this one passage, at least part of it is that we are to proclaim his excellencies. Well, who do you do that with? Everyone you come in contact with. In other words, we're telling people who God is and what he has done for us and why he's so wonderful and why they should follow him too. We are to make disciples who make disciples. So Moses comes with this great demand and it leads now to a defiant rejection. Verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then he said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh is defiant. He is obstinate. He rejects the word of the Lord. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. He's unyielding. Perhaps it was Pharaoh's response that then caused Moses to say what God had told him to say. Please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You can almost feel the change going from a demand to a request. It's kind of like, oop, hit a roadblock, brick wall, uh, plan B, which really should have been plan A. But he, but he makes another mistake. He, he adds something at the end of it. Do you see it? Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. I, I I I I look back over the first you know four chapters. I couldn't find that that the Lord had said that Moses added that. Would he really have done that to his people? That he was. It, would it, was it their fault that they were in in bondage and slavery? No. Might he have been referring to all of Egypt? Maybe. But it just seems again that Moses. It just took a little bit too much liberty here. Pharaoh then accuses Moses and Aaron of trying to get the people out of doing their work and wanting to give them rest from their burdens. So what does he do? He ups the ante. He increases the burdens. He cruelly increases the burdens of the people. And he commands the taskmasters and the foremen to no longer give people the straw that they need to make bricks. Rather, now they need to go and find their own straw. And despite this added time-consuming burden, the people are required to maintain the same production levels. They had to make the same number of bricks that they made before. And, and, and Pharaoh goes on to accuse the people of all things of being lazy. They're idle. That's why they don't want to work. They're lazy. They want to go on a vacation somewhere. Get them back to work. Pharaoh doesn't want the people to pay attention to what Moses and Aaron are telling them. He refers to their message as lying or deceptive words. They're not telling the people the truth. Now we need to understand that Pharaoh is a pawn of the devil. And and he will do everything that he can to cast doubt on or discredit the word of God and his messengers. He wants us to question God's goodness and his power. Ultimately, he wants us to disbelieve Yahweh. These are lying words. They're deceptive words. Don't put your faith and trust in these words, in in this God of yours. Remember, Pharaoh was God in Egypt. And by laying a, a heavier burden upon the people, he knows that their suffering will not only cause them to, to call into question Moses and his leadership, but it's also gonna cause them to question God. Pharaoh here is combating hope with hardship. Hardship. The New Living Translation translates verse 9 this way. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. Pharaoh is, in effect, saying here, I'm going to make life miserable for the people. So much so that they will not... Believe the words that come out of Moses' mouth. There's no way that they will believe him or his God when they see what I do to them and how much I am to make them suffer. So verse 10 says that the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, which by the way is a dig against Yahweh. Because this is what God said, thus saith the Lord. Pharaoh comes back, thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task, each day, and when there was straw, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So Pharaoh's decree was made known to the people, but the people could not maintain their previous quota. There was no way that they could do that. What Pharaoh wanted was impossible. Yet the taskmasters or slave drivers, depending on your translation, they beat the Hebrew foreman. And this then leads to a fruitless appeal. Verse 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. But he said, you are idle." You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Now, the taskmasters were Egyptian. The foremen were Hebrew slaves that were put in a position to oversee the people. And therefore, they had a degree of respect as overseers among the Egyptians. But now, they've been beaten for something that was out of their control. So they decide to lodge an official complaint with Pharaoh. And I have no doubt that they hoped to reason with Pharaoh, uh, but, but Pharaoh is f- far beyond being reasonable, They no doubt hoped that Pharaoh would change his mind, that he would see how how really self-defeating this whole thing is. They couldn't do what he was asking them to do. And notice, though, that three times in two verses these men referred to themselves as Pharaoh's servants. I think that's telling. And I think what it tells us is that they still regarded themselves as slaves. And they still saw Pharaoh as their master. Pharaoh was the one in charge in their thinking, not Yahweh. Now, we can certainly understand their actions, can't we? I mean, those of us that have worked in the marketplace and you know, have not been treated fairly, you know, to, to go before our bosses and ask for a raise or for additional benefits or maybe the union goes to bat for you. We, we can understand that. But they should have known better than to go to Pharaoh. They should have prayed before they went and groveled before Pharaoh. They, they should have listened to Moses and Aaron rather than taking the matter into their own hands, and they should have left their deliverance to God. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, might you be a little bit like the foreman? Perhaps you're still in bondage to sin. Perhaps you feel beat up by the enemy. My advice to you is is simply this. Don't try and be your own deliverer. Many, many people spend their entire lives trying to do that. Trying to extricate themselves from the mess that they're in. Trying to earn God's love in, in his favor. I I suggest you leave your deliverance to Jesus, to the deliverer. He alone can save you from your sin and bring you safely home. Trust in him. Well, Pharaoh doesn't budge. He reiterates his demand, you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And this is, then leads to a piercing accusation, starting in verse 19. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. When the foremen of the people realized that they had failed to persuade Pharaoh to lighten their burden, they, they took their anger and their frustration out on Moses and Aaron, which, which is a, something typical that we see throughout Scripture, even today. When things don't go the way that we like them to go, we often take them out on our leaders. And they basically are going to Moses and Aaron and are saying that it's your fault. It's your fault that we're suffering like this. If you hadn't gone to Pharaoh and demanded that he let us go, he never would have laid this additional burden on us. May God judge you for what you did, Moses. That's pretty harsh. This passage, I think, reveals at least two things about these men and many of the people of Israel. First, it reveals that many people preferred slavery over freedom. Which, when you say it, it's, it's mind boggling to think that. But it's true. Even today, it's true. These foremen were, were, in effect, saying, "Moses, we may have been slaves. Life may have been tough." But at least we had straw in which to make these bricks. We, we were fine with the arrangement that we had. What, what you're going to find as we go through Exodus that this same argument is used over and over again. The people always wanted to go back to Egypt. Yeah, it was rough there, but at least this and that. any people prefer the misery of today over the blessings of tomorrow or as i often say when you don't know you're missing something you don't miss it they had no point of reference slavery is all they ever knew this was normal life for them And I I think today that there are so many people just like that, people who are far from Christ, who are entangled in all sorts of sin and addictions. And you come to them with the promise of freedom and they prefer their slavery. This is all I've ever known. And at least I know what I have now. It's it's hard. My mom used to have a saying: "A bird in hand is worth two in the bush." I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but you know you could apply that in a lot of different ways. But it's it's just it, I, when you can't see, and, and, and you know the unknown, it can be a scary thing. And here Moses and Aaron come and they promise freedom. They promise they they don't have to be slaves anymore. I mean, I'd be wondering, well, what am I going to do if I'm not a slave? How will I take care of myself? Where will I live? What will my shelter be? I mean, there are all sorts of things that you have to deal with once you are free, have been set free. So instead of trusting God, thinking perhaps that everything that Moses has said is a pipe dream, they preferred to go to Pharaoh and negotiate better terms for their slavery. Maybe this morning you feel that way. Perhaps freedom from sin and the blessings of God seem like a pipe dream to you. You just can't see it. You've never experienced it. You don't know what it's like, but you know what life is like now, and you're content to live just the way that you've been living. Maybe you can't imagine a life without alcohol or drugs or porn. Maybe all you've ever known is heartache and misery. I want you to know Jesus is here this morning to deliver you if you'll let him. He died to set you free from your sin and the things that hold you captive. Open your heart to him. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ to save you. He died a horrible death on the cross to set you free. His blood washed away your sin. And when he rose from the dead, he rose victorious. And all of us who have put our faith and our trust in him will, too, one day rise victorious to meet him. This is an amazing chapter. I I told you there's a lot of profound things and practical things in this text. The, the second thing that I think this passage reveals about this men, these men is that it revealed that the faith that they had back in verse 31 of chapter 3 was not true faith. You have to remember, Exodus 4, verse 31, it says, And the people believed after Moses came, performed the signs, told them everything that God had told them. It says, And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They believed and worshipped. Yet the foreman took matters into their own hands and lashed out at Moses and Aaron because things did not improve. In fact, they got worse. Their faith was not true faith. They got excited at the prospect of deliverance and no doubt hoped that it would happen right away. But God does not work on our timetable. And when things got worse, they were quick to disbelieve and even charge God's messengers with doing evil. Unfortunately, this is the kind of faith that many people have today. But, but you need to understand something. The genuineness of our faith is not measured in how excited we get when we hear a good message. It's, it's, it's not about the emotion that can be drummed up at a particular time. And it happens all the time. Sometimes going to concerts, sometimes it's going to conferences, sometimes it's just being in the right place at the right time, and and you're moved emotionally to make a decision for Jesus. I have known way, way too many people who have responded positively to the gospel, who have gotten baptized, who have joined a church, who have even begun to serve, who later fell away. The true test of whether or not our faith is genuine is our obedience and our perseverance. I think the parable of the seed and the sower is informative and helpful for us here. So if you'd like, you can turn over to it. I do have it up on screen. It comes from Luke chapter eight. Jesus tells this parable and he says that a sower went out to sow his seed he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and take away, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in it and hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This parable that Jesus is telling us is, is not giving us a picture of four different Christians. He's telling us here that there's only one type of soil that produces a true believer. And that's where the soil goes down deep. It's good soil and it takes root. And and it produces fruit that lasts. Everything else is pseudo-faith. So what kind of faith do you have? Does your faith get thrown for a tailspin when God doesn't do What you expect him to do, want him to do, when you want him to do it. Moses falters a bit here. He's already discouraged by Pharaoh's response, but the words of the foreman cut like a knife. Moses then questions God's character and his calling, which leads him to make a desperate plea. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? (laughs) Sound familiar? Here I am, Lord, send somebody else. Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is despondent. Pharaoh has not listened to him. His people are still in bondage, and, and now seemingly they are against him. This is a theme we're going to see over and over and over. Let me tell you, after, well, get go, going on nearly, am I up to 40 years of ministry? Um, it's not easy being a pastor. It's not easy leading people, period. But leading God's people is hard. People always second guess you. People always question your motives. People always, it just I could keep going. It's hard. And I can tell you this, I don't think Moses could do it. I know I couldn't do it. I don't think any of the, our other elders could, could do what we do if we did not know God has called us to do what we do. He's the one that sustains us. I would have crumbled a long time ago if it was left up to me Moses told the people that God was about to rescue them, but instead of being delivered, their affliction was made worse. And it's at times like these that we're tempted to quit. It's times like these that we're tempted to turn away from God, to run from God even. To Moses' credit, he doesn't do this. Rather, he takes his doubt and his questions directly to God. And and there's a strong lesson in this for us. When obedience to God leads to discouragement, we must resist the temptation to give up and we must continue to trust in God that he will keep his promises to us. You know, it's been said that success is often closest when discouragement is the greatest I think there's a lot of truth to that. Things things are not always what they seem. Circumstances may appear to contradict the promises of God, but God is faithful. Don't give up. Don't give in. Do what Moses did. Go to the Lord in prayer. Pour out your heart to God and trust in him. And and God responds to Moses' prayer with a reaffirming promise. And this is where I'd like to leave us this morning. It's in verse one of chapter six. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So despite Pharaoh's opposition and the complaint of the foreman, and Moses' discouragement, God has the last word. God has Moses right where he wants him. Everything up till now was just a pre-show. God is setting the stage for what he is about to do. Chapter five was just a warm-up act. Now notice that God doesn't spend time addressing Moses' feelings He doesn't defend his actions or answer Moses's question. He simply says, now you will see what I will do. Now, we're going to look at chapter six next week. But for now, I just want you to focus uh, on what God says here. That phrase, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. God is about to unleash his mighty power. It is as if God is telling Moses, Moses, stand back, watch. Watch what I'm about to do. And then something interesting happens. He, he then proceeds to tell Moses what Pharaoh will do. You see that? He says, now watch what I'm gonna do. And then he says, with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. See, chapter five was all a part of God's plan. Things have got to get worse before they get better. God is working to ensure that when his people leave Egypt, that there will be no doubt where their salvation came from. It did not come, it will not come because of the benevolence of Pharaoh. And it will not come because the foremen were able to negotiate a better deal. They got an exit plan all mapped out. Pharaoh signed off on it. No, God's going to ensure that the people understand there is no way this is going to happen unless God does it. And he's going to do it in a mighty way because of the mighty hand of God. God wants us to understand the same thing. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we're, we're, we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. Amen. He's our only hope. Pharaoh will have no choice but to send them out. He'll be so desperate for them to leave, it will be as if he drove them out himself. Friends, discouragement may be the most prevailing disease. In the church, but it doesn't have to be. When obedience leads to discouragement, don't give up. Rather, keep trusting in God and in the promises that he has given you and wait and see what God will do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word to us. For the lessons in it, would you help us to apply these to our lives? And first and foremost, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to bow their knee to King Jesus, that they would do so, that they would understand your great love for them, that they would be fools to walk away from you and from such a great salvation. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for rising from the dead and for your promise to one day return to take us home to be with you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.